we're in Luke chapter 1, and uh, let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, Father, we thank you so much for this, this time, and uh, we thank you for your word. And we just ask now that you might teach us. Um, may we be inspired, uh, because I really think these two chapters are so inspiring to the soul and so hopeful. Lord, may we grab hold of that hope, and uh, Lord, may it direct us. May we just bring ourselves before you and submit ourselves to you in faith. In faith. And uh, we thank you, dear God, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, and then, uh, oh, one last thing. Logan, who led worship tonight, this morning, wow. he got baptized. And so that was exciting. Wow. So, so if you want to see that, go online uh, for the second service this morning, and you can see that video. Okay. All right, with that said, we're going to be at verse 67. Uh, so we, we've been looking in chapter 1. By the way, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's, it's Christmas in April. Uh, our timing's a little off, but we're going to be looking at Christmas today. And we've been looking at the birth announcement of John the Baptist and the birth announcement of, of Jesus. And now we're going to finish up that chapter with a prophecy. Look at verse 67. Now his father, this is the father of John the Baptist, uh, the, the, the Lev- Levitical priest, Zacharias, So now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, I'm going to stop right there because if you remember, we're talking, it's been 400 years since God has spoken by his Holy Spirit through prophets. Now we know an angel appeared to Zacharias and spoke to Zacharias and announced the birth. And that was exciting, obviously, as Zacharias was in the temple ministering before the Lord, uh, burning the incense. And an angel appeared to Mary But over this period of silence for 400 years, no one has prophesied. And, of course, last week we saw that beautiful song of Mary. But it didn't say that Mary was speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. With Zacharias, it actually says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Much like the Old Testament. Remember, uh, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon prophets for a work or a period of time. But uh, in the New Testament, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells in the believer. So it's a little bit different. But as Zacharias uh, begins uh, this prophecy, I want to break it up into four, organize it kind of into four parts. So the first thing we're going to see is exhortation to worship and praise God. He's going to encourage everyone, let's worship, let's praise God. Then we're going to go into the occasion for worshiping God. Now that will be all in verse 68, uh, 68a and b. We're going to see the exhortation to worship and praise and the occasion for worshiping. And then we'll see God's faithfulness to his promises. And finally, a prophetic message about the ministry of John the Baptist. So let's look at verse 68. Uh, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Just looking at the first part of this exhortation, as John says, Uh, Zacharias says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Of course, the idea of to bless the Lord is to recognize his goodness and his greatness, to sing of his praises. And uh, sometimes I think that when we come into worship, corporate worship, we're coming in from whatever the day holds. And maybe we're even coming in tired. You know, maybe we're kind of like, oh, I'm ready for a nap or I'm tired, I'm down. And... uh, I I really think this is a reminder to remember what God has done, why you're here, and how we're going to 
seeing. Of course, in Zechariah's prophecy, he, he says, bless the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this is awesome because he uses this title for God, the Lord, God of Israel. He doesn't say, bless the Lord, God of creation. Because Zacharias is specifically focusing on promises made to Israel. And, and, and verbatim, this title of God is used 54 times in the Old Testament. So 54 times this title, the Lord God of Israel, is used throughout the Old Testament. And so as, as he says, hey Israel, I'm going to bless the Lord God of Israel. The, he's, it's a call to worship, a call to praise God. And he's going to tell you now why to praise God. For he has visited and redeemed his people. That's the occasion for worshiping. God has visited. God has met us here. And, and, and he's come to us. That, that idea of visiting his people means that we, we haven't heard from God for, for hundreds of years. And now he's visited us. He, he's come. He, he's, he's, uh, it, it's in the same way the idea of Israel when they were in Egypt in bondage, the Lord God visited them and brought them out of their bondage. And so that, that idea of deliverance and God's moving, his power in their lives. And so, so he says, this is why we're going to worship the Lord God. He's visited us. And, uh, and he's redeemed his people. Now, do you know something interesting about how he says this? Uh, he says it in the past tense. For he has visited and redeemed. But it hasn't happened yet. Do you notice that? John has been born, but Jesus hasn't been born. But I, I just want to point this out because Zacharias is so sure of the prophecy. Now, I, th I think this is kind of exciting because remember Zacharias in the temple, when, when he asked the angel, how will these things be? How is this going to happen? And the angels go, all right, Zacharias, you're not going to talk until your son is born and you name him John, right? <laughs> and so Zacharias spent that whole period without talking, and then finally he erupted and his name is John, and then we're going to get this beautiful prophecy. But, but as far as Zacharias is concerned, God already promised it. Now he's going to do it. He's, he's done it. It's as good as done. And so he says he's visited and he's redeemed. Uh, and, he's, and that idea of redeemed there, the word means to purchase back. Uh, you and I, when we go to the store and we have a coupon, if you still cut coupons, I saw some coupons cut out on the table this week. I was like, oh, we're cutting coupons again because it seems like everything's digital nowadays. Or, or you get the, 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 the card, right, the club card. You have a club card when you go, oh, man, I don't need another club card. And, uh, but uh, just that idea that you want the discount. And so that, that coupon that you clip out is worth a value. And when you bring it to the store... You're redeeming the coupon by getting the value for that coupon. So when God said, speaks about redeeming his people, the idea is purchasing back. He's giving a value. He, he is purchasing back. He's paying the price of those who have been enslaved. And so, so here Zechariah says God has visited and he's redeemed his people. That is the occasion for worship. That is why we worship because God has met us. God has redeemed us, and that is why I'm going to sing his praises. I'm going to be overjoyed. 
Now, this is, it's interesting that Zacharias also says, and I'm, I'm going to say interesting a lot today. I don't know why, but it's just, uh, everything's interesting to me tonight. But Zacharias is so overjoyed, and he speaks about the Lord visiting. Later on, Zacharias will have gone to be with the Lord, I'm sure, by the time Jesus speaks about Jerusalem, and he actually speaks some really sad words. In Luke 13, verse 35, I forgot to give this to you guys, I'm sorry. Luke 13, verse 35, can you pull that up? Luke, and of course Ariel is learning tonight, so, so I'm, I'm Luke 13, 35, and uh, in Luke, thir- and by the way, you don't have to wait for the digital, you can just open up your Bible. Uh, it says, see, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me. This is Jesus, by the way, speaking. You shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus is, is this is during the Passion Week. This is after the, the Palm Sunday. And as he's leaving the city, he makes this statement. And specifically, the statement is about the temple and Jerusalem. And saying it's left desolate. And why is it left desolate? Because they did not recognize the day of the Lord's visitation. The Lord came. Remember, people said, Hosanna in the highest, the Lord saves. Uh, Palm branches and everything like that. But then they rejected. And because they rejected the Messiah, we see that Jesus says, okay, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So guess what I think is going to happen uh, when the Lord returns, I bet you they're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I bet you they're going to be ready to receive him a, a little bit different. Uh, oh, I can't wait to see that. That's gonna, it's going to be awesome to see Jesus crack open the Mount of Olives and right into the temple. Anyway, uh, and so, so uh, it, it, although Zacharias recognized the Messiah's visitation, we're going to see that later the Jews don't recognize the visitation. And how sad it is when people don't recognize the hand of the Lord in their lives. When, when the Lord is moving, when the Lord is ministering, when the Lord is calling, and they reject it. Or they don't want to see it. Sometimes it's because of pain. Sometimes it's just attitude, right? We, we have bad attitudes sometimes. Uh, just something's going on and we're just, we just want to be upset. That's just kind of the way it goes. And sometimes we just reject what the Lord is going to do or what the Lord is trying to teach. And uh, I would just encourage you as just an application from this point is start with a heart of worship, recognizing what God has done, and then bring your request before him for what he will do. And, and, And just put that trust in the Lord. All right, let's go into this prophecy here. Uh, so we looked at the, the, the exhortation of worship, the occasion for worship. Now we're going to look at God's faithfulness to his promises. Verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, 
being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, this is a compilation. Uh, 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 Zacharias is not quoting from Scripture, but this is Scripture-filled. Uh, and uh, this is important because I really what we see about Zacharias is this man is a man of the Word of God. He really knows the Word of God. And he's going back and he's quoting promises from Samuel, from Isaiah, from Micah, from Malachi, from I, uh, the Psalms. All, all of these, these prophecies are kind of interwoven, these past promises of God. Zacharias is interweaving into his praise. And I think this is uh, something, again, we can apply to ourselves is Zacharias is recognizing the fulfillment of God's promises. He's literally prophesying uh, the confirmation of Scripture. And, and, of course, when we pray, we can pray Scripture. But as Zacharias prays this, look, he says, the horn of salvation. Obviously, that's a symbol of strength. The horn is a symbol of strength. Uh, throughout the Bible, and I, I know we don't use that symbol much anymore, but when you see an animal with, with horns, it, it, it represents strength. Okay, the house of his servant David. Remember in, in uh, Samuel's chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is promised that God will raise up an heir to his throne, and he will never let the house, uh, house of David depart. Uh, he spoke all these things by the mouth of his holy prophets. And, of course, when David spoke to, when, when God spoke to David to give that promise, it came through the prophets. Uh, all throughout the scriptures we have prophecies from all the way going back to even uh, the prophecy given to us at the Garden of Eden as, as they were being, uh, receiving the consequences for their sin, that the, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. All the way into the Exodus, we see Moses prophesies about Messiah. Uh, all the way into the different prophets, we see over and over prophecies about Messiah. So, so uh, Zacharias is confirming that. Uh, and then he says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Um, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Who did God make a covenant with? Well, first it was with Abraham, and he references Abraham here, and uh, now we could say that this is all of these covenants, the, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant, uh, the covenant with uh, Israel, and, and, uh, the covenant in Jeremiah, the new covenant that he promises, uh, but I, I certainly think that this is first starting with the covenant that God made with Abraham that was unconditional. It was Abraham uh, who cut up the animals and left them there and then fell into a sleep and a smoking pot came and passed through the, those animals and God, God confirmed his covenant to Abraham and it was based in him. And so, so Zacharias references that to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. It's hard to serve God when you're constantly under the threat of destruction and this goes along with Israel's rejection of Messiah. I, I know that God knows all things and these things were prophesied. But can you imagine if Israel would have received Messiah when he came in his first advent? I think if they would have received Messiah, they wouldn't have been destroyed. But because of their rejection of Messiah, Israel was destroyed. 
And, of course, we know that God is not finished with Israel. 1948 was, was proof of that, confirmation of that. And then, of course, in 1967, and uh, so, so we, we wait uh, to see the rest of the fulfillment of those prophecies. All right. Um, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, this is a beautiful statement. Because it says that we can be holy and we can be righteous. We can serve God in holiness and righteousness. Now, of course, I don't know. I, uh, well, Zacharias is speaking under the, Holy, uh, the, the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit here as he's prophesying this. But just the whole idea that, that we can be righteous before our God. Not based on works, because our works are like filthy rags as the prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied. But, but that our, our righteous deeds are based in Messiah. And so God, God saved us and redeemed us through his death on the cross. All right. God is faithful to his promises. Now we move into the prophecy about John. Verse 76. And you're, you, child, so, so Zacharias now turns his attention to his baby. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, a beautiful prophecy for, for his son, John of what his purpose will be, what God has called him to be. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you have a prophet being called. Uh, Moses uh, noticed a bush that was burning but not being consumed, right? Uh, other prophets were called. Uh, uh, Isaiah heard the, the call of the Lord. Uh, Samuel, if you remember, he kept hearing um, Samuel, Samuel, his name called, and, and he kept coming into Eli, the high priest, and saying, yeah, well, what, what do you need? He's like, I didn't call you. And this, this continued. And finally Eli caught on and said, okay, next time you get called, you're going to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so Samuel did that. Uh, throughout, throughout the uh, Old Testament, you have the calling of the prophet. And this is John's calling. This is the calling of the prophet. Now, of course, John is a baby. But do you think Zacharias and Elizabeth, his wife, are going to let John forget this? I don't think so. They, they know full well, and and I think uh, that uh, I, they were they. It wasn't like they were holding on to John as theirs. They recognized just like Hannah did with Samuel. This is from the God. It's a from God. It's a gift from the Lord, and I give him back. And so, so we say you'll go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways. You're gonna you are gonna proclaim Jesus' arrival, the Messiah's arrival. You're gonna go prep Israel to receive Him. See. God is not trying to surprise everybody. It, 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 it was going to be made known through prophecy. God was going to prepare hearts. Why does he want to prepare hearts? He wants them to receive him. The, those who want him, don't receive him. And so John was going to go out and prepare. And, and, and God used John in a way just like Elijah. He was kind of a, an Elisha. They were unique guys. They dressed funny, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, they, they were out in the desert. People who wanted to know about John had to go to John. It wasn't just going to be uh, just another guy contending at the temple. It was like, no, you're going to go out there. You're going to hear John. And of course, 
John began his ministry of preparing people's hearts. Um, he wanted to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. It's all coming through Messiah. Uh, through tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Uh, uh, really, this is the, the sunrise. Okay, the sun is rising. It's a, another idea here from the day spring on high. It's, it's dawn. Dawn has come. Uh, and boy, I'll tell you, on, on a, a clear morning, if you're up at sunrise, oh, it's so gorgeous, isn't it? It's just so warm and you see the sun coming up and it's, everything's clear. Uh, especially if you're out in the mountains or uh, I don't know where, where some of your best sunrises have been. I'm sure probably some of you guys could check off sunrises. I've, I've got some sunrises in different places in the world that I've gotten to just watch. And, and just that idea of the dawn coming up, the clarity with which the light gives, uh, that golden hour, as photographers call it, uh, where just the light is just perfect. And, uh, and, and so that is what Messiah is for the people of Israel and for us. It's a clarifying, God is clarifying in our lives. When we come to Christ, we're born anew. We see things differently. We don't see things with the same eyes we did before. Things have changed. The stuff that, that we want to invest our time is. You know, they say for uh, someone who's, who becomes a Christian, you have about a year uh, to a year and a half until they're just one of the old crowd. What, what, what they mean by that is, like, in that first period of time, they're still kind of involved with all their old friends and sharing about their faith and so on, but... Eventually, they just kind of become part of the old crowd, part of the church. They, they, they just as as they've grown in Christ, relationships wane because they're not as into doing the things that they did before. They're excited to be among the people of God, worshiping God, learning from God. Uh, I remember that's what happened with me when I came to Christ. I, I was telling all my friends about it, and of course, my friends all, oh, Dave's become a Jesus freak, you know, and uh, which is true. And that was the one thing I, I had told. My coworker that I wasn't, I'm not a Jesus freak, you know. And then, and then of course, I came to Christ and I became a Jesus freak. And I was telling all my friends and trying to get all my friends to come to church and everything like that. And slowly over time, uh, those who didn't come to Christ, we just drifted apart because I wasn't doing the things that they were doing anymore. I was investing in other things and just being excited because uh, I had seen a day spring from on high. God had, had, had lit the sunrise in my life. And so uh, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, I love that. Man, don't we need that. Uh, that is so comforting, those words, light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. You can't go to a memorial service and not be disturbed. And what I mean by that is that uh, memorial services, or especially like viewings, have you ever been to a viewing? It's the most uncomfortable, weird event. Everybody's like talking. It's like a family reunion with a dead body in the room. And and it's just like, I don't know, it's just kind of surreal and weird as you process everything. And, and you're, not, you're, you're like, those who had been there for a while and already processed the dead body in the room, then they're excited to see someone like, hey, how are you? But that person just got there and they're bawling or whatever the case is to be on who it was. Who, um, it's just a weird thing. But but I think I think I think the the worst part about a funeral is that nagging, that nagging picture of the grave. It, it's just seeing that is my destiny, that coffin or that urn. That is where 
my destiny is. And, and it's a, the shadow of death. Just overwhelming. I think over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of talk about death, haven't we, with COVID. And I think people have been more concerned with death and consumed with death than probably ever before. I know suicide rates are up. It's just uh, death, the shadow of death. It's there. And, and Christ didn't come that you might live in the shadow of death. Christ came that you might have light. That, that he might give light to you. That you might come out of the shadow. Have you ever noticed that about light? If you have light all around, there's no, it's hard to find a shadow, right? That's why when movie lighting, when they put all the light up just right. Of course, or, or if the light's in front, the shadow's behind you. It's gone. It's not over you. And so Christ came that you might have light to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, I certainly think there's an idea here of peace with others because the gospel does begin to bring that. But I don't think that's really what the context here of this prophecy is. I think what Zacharias is prophesying is that God is bringing peace with God. The Messiah is bringing peace with God. That you're no longer an enemy of God, but you can be called a friend of God, a child of God, born of God, his family. And so it's a beautiful prophecy and it sets up the whole rest of the gospel. Uh, this prophecy is going to set up everything in the gospel. So if you want a summation of the gospel of Luke, here it is. Uh, Zechariah's prophecy. It, it gives you your summation of everything that's going to happen in the gospel of Luke. So verse 80 says, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So this is interesting. We always kind of might think that John grew up in a normal home and then moved out to the desert. But this is a weird kid. Desert people, right? You know what I'm talking about. You ever gone out to desert towns? Yeah, desert people. <laughs> we, were, we were in Israel and uh, <laughs> we, we came out to this, there was this monastery out there. And it was real, real unique and, and different and they... They kind of had an asceticism where they would go out there, they would just uh, cut themselves off from the whole world with an effort to be holy. Uh, and uh, there was the, our tour guide kept telling us kind of some, some interesting stories about things that they would do for asceticism. And we're sitting there and Edwin goes, desert people. <laughs> so, and it was, the whole idea was we were going to try to be like John the Baptist. But, you know, John the Baptist didn't, seclude himself from people for the sake of seclusion. John the Baptist was out in the desert so people would come to him. And he faithfully proclaimed and prepared the way of Messiah. And so, uh, so we see that John the Baptist, by the way, if you live in the desert, I'm just joking. But I might not be. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but it says the child grew, became strong in spirit. He became in tune with God, and he was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. He continued living out there. The, uh, this, this John the Baptist was like, uh, in a way, a survivalist from day one, <laughs> early on. You know, I don't know how soon. But, uh, but until the day of the manifestation to Israel, until God was ready for him to begin preaching. So, all right, with that said, let's go into chapter 2. 
look at my time here. Yeah, we can get a little bit in chapter 2. Trying to get a little caught up here. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Caesar Augustus, or his name prior to being called Caesar Augustus was Gaius Octavius. And Caesar Augustus ruled over Rome from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. And actually, he was quite, uh, quite the emperor. Uh, in fact, it was in his day that the Romans began to worship Caesar as God. Caesar Augustus ended all the civil wars uh, and, and uh, ushered in the Pax Romano, or Roman peace. You see, it was during his time that the, the whole Julius Caesar was murdered, uh, Mark Antony, Brutus, all these civil wars that were going on. And finally, when he came to power, uh, he was able to put down all the civil wars and usher in this Roman peace. He built Roman roads throughout the empire. And I love that because uh, I know that he was building him, them for his empire and for trade. But it was going to be used unknowing to him for the gospel message going out to the world. Um, it, and it said that he began to reign Rome. Uh, when he began to reign, Rome was built from brick, but when he died, Rome was built from marble. That was, it was really a golden age for Rome uh, during his, his reign. But you know what needed to pay for all that marble? Taxes. <laughs> so, so, uh, so as we read here in Luke, Luke gives us a historical anchor, uh, a, a period of time to, to uh, put this story next to, and that's the, the reign of Caesar Augustus. So, when he was, uh, when, while he was Caesar, Caesar during his day, days, he put out the decree that all the world should be registered. Uh, and the whole goal of that is collecting taxes. Now, Caesar Augustus is known around the world not for all the things he did in Rome. Because most people don't know all those things he did in Rome. He's known for making a decree that all the world should be registered. He's known for here, Luke chapter Two. That's really what Caesar Augustus is most well known for in history. It's for Luke chapter 2. That's what, uh, when, <laughs> when, you, when you really uh, start to talk to people around the world, that's where they remember Caesar Augustus from. Um, now, he, we also mentioned here in this first part is while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now, this is one of those areas where people have had a hard time with because they couldn't find a Roman record of Quirinius being governor. During this time, and there's a couple theories about this. One, at this point in time, he was a prefect over Syria, which very possibly they didn't have a governor over Judea. And so the Syrian governor was actually covering over, over uh, Judea at the same time. Uh, because later when he becomes governor of Syria, it would have been a little bit late for this event to happen. But the, one of the theories is because he did actually, was governor twice, so it could have been the, the census was taken in the earlier point of his governor, of being governor. And then some also think that he came into being governor while the census had been started. I, I'm not sure what it is. I think it was probably more that he was already governor over Syria and then Caesar Augustus had him carry that on into Judea. Uh, and, and, and eventually he became the, the official governor of Judea. But nonetheless, um, we know Quirinius is a real person. We know that he really was governor over Syria, and later he was also governor over Judea. 
so we can look at that and just see that Luke accurately records these people. Um, <clears throat> all right, with that said, uh, verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know what's neat about this is uh, you can go to the city of Nazareth today. You can go to the city of Bethlehem today. They're still there. They're ancient cities. There's, there's plenty of archaeological evidence uh, we, I showed you before, a couple, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe it was last week, um, the, the Church of the uh, uh, Annunciation and that first century house that uh, they found under that church. Um, so you can go and see that there's archaeological evidence for uh, these events being in those places. Now, I, I find it interesting in the Book of Mormon, uh, they say, it says uh, Joseph Smith uh, said that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. And when they were asked about that, well, hey, wait a minute, the Book of Mormon says Jesus was born in Jerusalem. Now, uh, the Old Testament gives a very clear prophecy that he'll be born in Bethlehem. Uh, but, but they say, no, uh, the Book of Mormon says Jerusalem. And so when they were asked about it, uh, the Mormon church put out a statement saying, well, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Bethlehem is only six miles away from Jerusalem. It's pretty much the same place. You know, I, you know, here in Southern California, you might say, if I go six miles down the road, I'm still in Orange County and still a big place. But, 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 and we might blur lines between Orange and Anaheim right here, here in the city or Orange and Tustin or Orange and Santa Ana. Santa Ana always tricks us, right, because it's like, Somehow it carves out just streets, uh, a part of uh, different areas. But when you go to, to Israel, you will never mistake Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Although it is only six miles away, you will never, never, ever think that you're in the same city. Because you travel through a whole bunch of hills on your way to actually get to Bethlehem. You'll never confuse the two. And, and guess what? No one in Israel ever confuses the two. No prophet would ever confuse the two. And so here we read that, that um, when they went up from Galilee to the city of Naz- from the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, uh, it's giving us the lineage and the house of which Joseph comes from. Again, that's a, another fulfillment of the prophecy because Joseph is the adopted stepfather of Jesus and they go to Bethlehem. It's interesting that Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem. I, I probably put too much of a guttural on that. Forgive my Hebrew. Um, but it means house of bread. Uh, interesting that the bread of life is born there. Because he was out of the house and lineage of J- David. So they went there to be registered. And the time came for, for her to give birth. And so they gave birth and brought forth their firstborn son. Wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Laid him in a manger. Here's a picture of a manger. Um, and a manger is, is that picture, that last picture I gave you? Yeah. So here's a picture of a stone manger. It's a feeding trough. That's what it is. And so there was no room in an inn. Uh, and so they find themselves in 
what is believed to be a cave. In Bethlehem, there's a whole lot of caves, and they're under houses, and a part of houses, and that's where they would, they would put in the animals, uh, stable the animals. And so uh, the, in the cave there in Bethlehem, which, by the way, they're very confident in the, the grotto or the cave underneath the church of the nativity is the actual place where Jesus was born. They have good archaeological evidence for that being the spot. Uh, as we talked about last week, that, that where these, these churches are built one layer upon another, they're usually a good reason uh, to, to, to preserve that that is the archaeological, uh, the, the, the historical spot that has been carried down. And so Jesus was born there, and they laid him in this manger after wrapping him in swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths were strips of linen. So today when we, we uh, you give birth to a baby, I, I've never given birth, but my wife has. And uh, I've been there. And uh, you, you, when the baby come, uh, when the baby is ready, <laughs> you you wrap it in a blanket. But there's a whole method for wrapping it, and they call it the burrito wrap. And uh, and it, the whole idea you want to swaddle the baby so that it feels comfortable and kind of cozy and tight. And uh, well, in the first century, they would use strips of linen to wrap up the baby versus uh, a whole blanket that was swaddle. And so they would wrap this, the baby and just swaddle it in these cloths. Um, and so we read verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel, I'm sorry, um, I skipped verse 8. Verse 8, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Do you think God wants this all to be a big secret? I don't think so. Interesting that he chose these shepherds of all people living out in the fields in the same area to reveal this birth of Christ. Uh, Obviously the Bible, we see a lot of shepherds in the Bible. David, King David himself was a shepherd. Uh, it's, It's one of the traditions, the rabbinic traditions, is that these shepherds, were the ones who took care of the temple flocks, the ones that would be used for the Passover sacrifice. We don't know that for sure, but that's, that's, it's very possibly that. Th- these are the shepherds that, that care for the sheep that take over, care of these Passover flocks. But it's awesome how this angel appears to these shepherds out there gu- watching their flocks by night. You can just see the sky erupted uh, with light of this angel as, as he appears before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. You know, a firework just disturbs the night, does it not? I mean, we like fireworks, boom, you know. Our dogs don't like fireworks, but we like fireworks. Um, and uh, that when the firework erupts, it just, it just breaks the silence of the night, the darkness of the night. It's like, wow. But this was more than a firework. This was a sustained light of this angel and the glory of the Lord shining around there. Their first reaction is fear, and rightfully so. 
how can we be in the presence of God in our sinful nature? I think any of us, even today, although we're redeemed by Christ, I think if we saw an angel, our first response would be fear. Oh, <laughs> uh-oh. All of a sudden, we'd start calculating every sin we had done that day, right? <laughs> Just going through. Um, but, but, but the angel says, do not be afraid. Now, th- this area of Bethlehem is full of hills. Now, I have a video here. Uh, that I, I did a secret fly of, fly over my drone uh, for you. No, it's definitely not that. That's like India, I think. Oh, no, that's the uh, Seder. It's the one I gave you earlier. Um, yeah, here we go. Go ahead and hit the lights there, Richard, so they can see. <clears throat> Especially these lights, Richard. Um, yeah. So this is, this is the area where the shepherds would have been watching over their flocks by night. And so you can see, kind of actually up there on those hills, that's where the Church of the Nativity is. Um, but it's a very hilly area. And um, but kind of sets that. I, I actually did not picture this when I was there. I, I told Laura when we were there at the Church of the Nativity, or at the uh, Shepherd's Hill. You can turn on the lights, Richard. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, when we were there, I said, man, this totally changes my view because I've always imagined it just this flat field. And, uh, and it's not, <laughs> not all that way. But, but that's the area where they would have been watching over their flocks in the fields by night. And the, as the angel announces, look at the promises that he brings. First of all, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David. Now, no question about it. No, none of them would think that's Jerusalem. They would all think that's Bethlehem. Um, City of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Have we been waiting for Messiah? Yes, we have. And there's a clear announcement. This is Messiah, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Not too hard to find a baby in Bethlehem. Bethlehem wasn't a big city. Not, definitely not like that. It was actually a very small country town. Not as small as Nazareth, but still a small town. And so suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. What an amazing chorus that breaks out to celebrate. And I love the fact that it breaks out for these shepherds out there in the field. (laughs) Just wow. We know nothing about the shepherds. We don't know about their godliness or ungodliness. But I will tell you this, from their response, we see that they hear God and they respond to God. The angel brings a message from God saying, this is what has happened this day. The, angel, the, the Messiah has been born, Christ the Lord, your Savior, and this is where you'll find him. And what do we read? Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from, into, from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was told them. Now, 
there is rabbinic tradition that shepherds were kind of the lowlifes. Uh, they were kind of on the, the edges of society. They were known for being thieves, so they had better reputation, all these things. I don't know if that's true about these shepherds. Maybe it is. But here's what I do know. God spoke to them. God revealed himself to them. God told them that their Savior was been born. And what did they do? They waited two, two days and eventually got over there when they, when they felt like it. No. They went immediately to let's go see this thing which God has made known to us. That's faith, friends. That is faith. When we hear God speak and we respond in dependence to God. When we hear God call and we respond. Say, yes, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. When we hear God speak and, and, and even if we're challenged, we respond with an attitude of dependence and actions of obedience. That's faith. And these shepherds practice faith right for us. They give us the example of faith. And they go and they find the baby. And what do they find? Just like the angels had told them, the baby, baby was lying in a manger. Baby was wrapped in swaddling cloths just like they were told. And it says, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. They didn't hold it in. They didn't keep it to themselves. They wanted everybody to know. And as a result, everybody marveled. Everybody knew that there was something special, but it just kept happening. These special events kept happening. And those who, who were there just got to rejoice and be part of this marvelous event. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is uh, first century scrapbooking, ladies. If you like to scrapbook. Or guys. Just put it into your heart. No, or I'm just guys. kidding. Or guys. <laughs> um, no, but she pondered them. Now, I love this about Mary. Mary has already received the vision from the, the, the angel, the announcement from the angel. Mary has received confirmation from John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's room, womb. Mary has received the word that Elizabeth gave to her. Mary herself is singing this praise. But on top of that, at the birth event, she sees these shepherds show up and she's just marveling at all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's, she's keeping the hold of these things. I think sometimes we forget to keep hold of the things that, that God does for us. And we need those. And I want to encourage you to do that. When God speaks, keep hold of those things. I've got to hurry up and finish here. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And I love that. Isn't that shouldn't that be the, the result of our interactions with God? Glorifying him and praising him. Lifting up his name. Thankful that, that he revealed himself to us. <laughs> Remembering all that we had heard and seen. That should be a response of a faith-filled heart. Glorifying and praising God. All right, Jason says I have to pray. So, <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and pray. And uh, we'll, we'll finish up worship. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful word. And Lord, we imagine what that night was like. And uh, we're just so thankful to it, Lord, that today we benefit from that night. Lord, we, we, we come before you, and as we consider these things, Lord, may we honor you. May we act in faith. May, Lord, when we hear you speak, may we respond in faith. May we have hearts that are rejoice when you reveal yourself to us, just like those shepherds. We thank you, dear God, for your love. 
We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you all the praise, all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wasn't ready to come up yet. <laughs> what a powerful name. By the way, next week we're going to talk about that name, the Lord is Salvation. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. And um, don't forget next week we have uh, Easter dinner immediately following the service we welcome you to come be a part of. Invite some friends and we'll be sharing uh, the resurrection message. So we'll have to take a break from, from Luke next week. But may the Lord God bless you. May he keep you. May he be your peace. And may you fix your eyes upon him. Amen. Amen.